Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, The Songs of Ascent. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Psalm 125, we're continuing our way through the Songs of Ascent. Psalm 125, hear now the reading of God's holy word. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of the, wickedness, of the wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. God of all grace, make your word a swift word, passing from ear to heart, from the heart to the lip. And as rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the 104th Psalm, the psalmist praises the Lord in a poetic recounting of creation, which includes the making of mountains. You set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. The mountains rose. And since then they have stood high on earth as well as the mind, in the minds of men. In their monumental existence, mountains naturally yield metaphor anthropomorphizing the western summits. You may recall the quote by John Muir who said, The mountains are calling and I must go. Surely the mountains do call us and they do call us to consider something grander, something greater than ourselves. Robert McFarlane writes, At bottom, mountains, like all wildernesses, challenge our complacent conviction." So easy to lapse into that the world has been made for humans by humans. Most of us exist for most of the time in worlds that are humanly arranged, themed, and controlled. One forgets that there are environments which do not respond to the flick of a switch or the twist of a dial and which have their own rhythms and orders of existence. Mountains correct this amnesia, by speaking of greater forces than we can possibly invoke, and by confronting us with greater spans of time than we can possibly envisage, 
Mountains refute our excessive trust in the man-made. They pose profound questions about our durability and the importance of our schemes. They induce, I suppose, a modesty in us. And by modesty, I presume that McFarlane implies an induced humility. Only the fool lifts up his eyes to the mountain and shakes his fist at God. When my mother-in-law Judy saw the Rocky Mountains for the first time, she wept. It's not only the height and the breadth of the mountain that speaks to us. It's also the stature of their permanence. That which we consider ancient is as old as the hills. That which seems impossible is to move mountains. Mountains so easily yield to metaphors because, well, they have been there. They cannot be moved and they continue to endure. And this is where, this is where the psalmist starts in the psalm. Pointing to a mountain. But not any mountain, a mountain known to all of Israel, Mount Zion. And speaking to the, well, he's speaking to the often unsettled, the often fearful, saying, those who trust in the Lord are stable and secure, like Mount Zion. The pilgrim arriving to worship in Jerusalem, perhaps singing this very psalm, I might add, would look up to Mount Zion as he came into Jerusalem, the ordained pinnacle, literally, of Israel's worship. It was the holy resting place of God's tabernacle, and then, of course, later, the temple, the locale of the dwelling place of the Lord. And to look up to Zion, it was a reminder to the child of Israel, as the psalm sings, It is the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And it's there, it's there in Jerusalem that Mount Zion speaks. And Mount Zion speaks in its very presence to the pilgrim arriving. But the psalmist simile is, as I like to say, in this case, not necessarily theological, but geological. As if to say, look up. Look, look, look up at that mountain. Nothing can move it. A rock-solid mountain. You can always depend on it. And those who trust in the Lord, they're like that. Of course, trusting the Lord is not just believing that He exists, right? I mean, James reminds us even the demons believe that and shudder. No, trust runs Deeper, like like the roots of a mountain, implying not only knowledge and ascent, but relationship. We do not put our trust in mountains, do we? We put our trust in the maker of mountains. We do not put ourselves our trust in ourselves, do we? We put our trust in our Creator. We do not put our trust in a God, but the God, our Heavenly Father, 
who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Yeah, yeah, that's Him. He's the one we trust. We trust the Lord. It's no wonder then that Scripture often describes the Lord as our rock, as it does in Psalm 18. And why those who are in Christ are called to be steadfast, immovable. This is the imagery of a rock. Instability reveals immaturity, but Christ-likeness yields stability like like a mountain, like a mountain, the mature Christian is not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, but is rock solid. Our trust from beginning to end is in the reality of who God is and what He has done for us in Christ. We look not to the man-made mountains of our merits, right? Where do we look? We look to the righteousness of Christ. We look not to our attempted, atoning, ascents to the summit of God's holiness, right? But where? We look to the cross of Christ. We look not to our relentless pursuit of the peak of perfection, right? But where? To the resurrection of Christ. And so it's in Christ's life. It's in His death. It's in His resurrection. Which we rest. We are stable. Like a mountain. Amidst the storm. Like Mount Zion. Immovable. Enduring. And one of the important. But often neglected encouragements to us. Of this truth. Is baptism. Baptism is, as the Westminster Confession puts it, a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. It is not a sign of faith, but it is a sign to faith of everything that is ours in Christ. Think about it. What does baptism represent? As it points forward, it's our justification, our adoption, our sanctification, our glorification. It signifies not what we have done, but what God has done in Christ, sealing us to Himself. Our larger catechism teaches us to look back to our baptism. In fact, it says that we should look back to our baptism all our life long with thankfulness for it, leading us to be humble for the sins that we commit and simultaneously remembering the grace of Of God in Christ. In his institutes, John Calvin says that baptism provides, quote, a sure testimony to us that we are not only engrafted into the death and life of Christ, but so united with Christ Himself that we become sharers in all His blessings. And it's when we consider this sure testimony of our baptism, we are reminded that our salvation. Well, our salvation is as stable as Mount Zion. And it's secure forever. But 
for some of us, the problem is not the surety of our stability, but if I may also continue with another metaphor, it's the molehills that we make into mountains. Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote, Oh, the mind, mind has mountains, cliffs of fall, frightful, sheer, no man fathomed. Surely there are threats that surround us like the accusations of our inner adversary. That inner adversary who hurls the memory of the sins that we've committed. Surely there is no mountain above or mountain below sea level that rises higher than the sinful constructs of the human heart. Oh, the mind. Mind has mountains indeed. And so I wonder this morning if you may grapple with the gospel for fear of falling. Have you seemingly thought the inexcusable, said the unjustifiable, done the indefensible, committed the unforgivable? Do you fear that salvation is lost? Lift up your gaze from yourself and lift it to the Lord. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. Just as the psalmist's words transcend the locale of ancient Israel, so the Lord's promised protection transcends your sin. You are secure in Christ. But let me be clear. You are secure in Christ not for the perfection of your thoughts or your words or your deeds, but because what the Father has ordained, the Son has accomplished, the Spirit has applied to you through faith. You are eternally Secure, not for the barricades you build, but for the refuge God is. And so we are secure in Christ. But it's also Christ who sustains us. Looking to the world to gauge your churches, perhaps this churches, or your own personal spiritual condition. Looking to the world to judge how are things going. Hey folks, that's a fool's errand. That is a fool's errand. If the gates of hell shall not prevail against Christ's church, neither will culture or the government. And while we work, and while we pray, and while we hope for the best, history teaches us this grim fact. That the wicked really do sometimes rise to power and influence. Wielding a scepter of wickedness, authority. And sometimes that scepter is wielded against Christ's church and His people. If our trust is in the social and in the political realm instead of the heavenly realm, here is what's going to happen. You will become unsettled. You will become fearful. Stability and our sense of security vanish like the morning mist on the mountainside. And the world 
Well, the world would have you believe that we are on the cusp of chaos. A time where wickedness runs rampant, leading the unsettled and fearful to discouragement, even despair. And that may be where you are today. You may have been looking for God in the world. And you may feel like everything is against you. And you may be discouraged. You may be despaired. And I want to tell you this. That the psalmist gives us the clarity like the morning light. Promising for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Unless the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Note here in the psalm the word rest. That Hebrew word carries a similar connotation to abide. The scepter of the wicked of wickedness will not rest. It will not abide. The scepter or reign of the wicked, in other words, is not forever. Evil is temporary. God is not. He is sovereign. Scripture says that He decides who will rise and who will fall. Scripture says that He is the Lord and He works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Scripture says everything for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And in God's good time, not, not mine by the way, not yours, in God's good time, Christ will return. And His scepter, is the one that matters. Not the wicked scepter. His scepter, a righteous scepter, shall rest on the eternally allotted land of the righteous in Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. Until then, you and I, we must guard against falling into what I call a victim mentality. Or allowing increasingly secular culture to lead us to sin. Guard against this is part of trusting the Lord. Part of how this psalm began. Resting in God's sovereign purpose. His sovereign plan. His sovereign provision. The sage says this. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You see, while you and I, we are made in God's image, and indeed we were made for eternity, we are momentarily constrained to time and space. God is not. We cannot see the future. God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. So our responsibility, since we are constrained to time and space, and since God is not, our responsibility is not anxiety and fear, but trust and obey. And pray. Nice little tie-in with the rhyme, right? It's not even in my notes. Trust and obey and pray. And what do we pray? Well, the psalmist teaching us here what to pray. We pray that God would bless His people. Look at the psalm. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright 
in their hearts. And so God secures us and, and God sustains us and God saves us. Part of being made in the image of God includes the gifts or of his communicable attributes. And that's a theological term. Communicable attributes are those attributes that we share with God. There are incommunicable attributes that we don't share with God, such as his sovereignty or his omnipotence and so on. But there are certain traits, certain characteristics or attributes that we do share with God. And one of those is justice. Every human desires justice. And but for those whose consciences have been perverted, there is a universal desire to see good behavior rewarded and bad behavior punished. But like all other communicable attributes, our justice is imperfect. God's is not. I may consider myself good and my neighbor bad. And then scripture comes along and says, well, let me tell you the fact of the matter. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And while God is all glorious, scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Be clear. Goodness is not relative in the courtroom of heaven. God's justice is satisfied then, not in our best efforts. As if I could turn over a new leaf. I could do better and I could try harder. And, and you know, tomorrow I'm just going to seek to be a better man. <laughs> no, Scripture is quite clear that God's justice is satisfied only in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that means an atoning sacrifice, by His blood to be received by faith. And so goodness before God is granted in mercy, received by faith, and lived out by God's grace. And those who are in Christ live out their faith, as James put it, through good works. So, in this psalm, what are we praying? What are we praying when we pray that God will do good to the upright in heart? And that He will lead away those who turn aside to their crooked way? What are we praying here? Well, we're praying that God would bless those who are good by grace through faith for Christ's sake and keep those who would lead us astray away. In God's perfect justice, we are praying that He would continue to work out His perfect redemptive plan for His people unto glory for His glory. And as God is just, we can be certain that God's justice will be served. God has not forgotten about the human race, 
No, he has not forgotten about this world. Justice will be served. It is all throughout Scripture. For example, in Ecclesiastes, it says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. And the Apostle Paul in Romans says, without a doubt, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so the question in regards to God's justice, the question is not whether we will stand before the judgment seat or not. The question is, in whose righteousness will we stand? Our own righteousness or Christ's righteousness? All who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will stand in Christ alone. Until that day, we do pray. As the psalmist teaches us, we pray for our brothers and our sisters, the beloved true Israel, Christ church. We pray for one another, asking that the Lord would continue to bless us, to be more Christ-like, to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And we pray that the peace that we have with God in Christ would lead us to live lives of gratitude and grace as stable and as strong as Mount Zion, as secure as a fortress, trusting in the Lord today and forevermore. Peace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you that our standing before you is not secured in our own merits, but in Christ alone. And we thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, this leads us to live out our faith in good works. We acknowledge that there are many things that we cannot understand in the day and age in which we live. We also acknowledge that none of it catches you by surprise, that you are sovereign over all. We pray that you would keep us from worry and anxiety, but rather your Holy Spirit would direct us to trust in you. May we, your people, be as stable as Mount Zion. May we be as stable as the security that we have in Christ. May we live out our faith then for your glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.